0: Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey.
1: My favorite trip was when my husband and I went to Hawaii and we got to feed the stingrays.
2: So one of the things our family really enjoys is camping and just being outdoors in nature, whether that's in the
1: forest or out on the beach somewhere.
0: Over my 11th birthday my family had the opportunity to go spend a few days at the Opryland Hotel in Nashville and if you've ever been there you know it is amazing and it was very exciting.
2: We went uh, camping one summer at the—it's down at the Bug Museum which is across from Fort Carson and the kids absolutely loved the hundreds of thousands of bugs. One of my
3: favorite family vacations was going to the Grand Canyon and I'll never forget when we
0: got to stargaze at the clear nighttime sky. It was so beautiful. Well, having adventures are some of the best ways to strengthen those relationships within your family. And maybe your adventure this summer is going to be a special trip or something as simple as going on a nature walk with your kids. However it goes for you, every day can provide the opportunities for special memories to be made. Today on Focus on the Family, we're going to be exploring ways that you can have family adventures in a meaningful way with your kids. And your host is Focus president and author Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller.
4: Hey, John. For years, uh, you know this, my family enjoyed camping trips. Gene and I think that was the best thing uh, we ever did to bond as a family. It had some funny moments. I mean, the banging of my head on those slide outs and everything else. or forgetting to shut the toilet valves and then realizing, uh uh-oh. Something's (laughs) Something's going to happen. And uh, the kids (laughs) loved it. They uh, howled and laughed at me constantly, pretty much. And uh, something you alluded to, John, is that adventures uh, don't have to be big. You know, you don't have to get that camper. Uh, We were able to do that, and it was a lot of fun. But you can do so many other things uh, to experience a great adventure. And we're going to talk today about how you can do that uh, on the cheap, really.
0: Yeah, and we heard some of the things in that opening clip that are local here, the the, the things bug, that you, the, the bug, bug museum. museum yeah that's, that's, that's fun. A fun we've been place. there <laughs> there are some great things you can do and greta Eskridge is going to help us all think a little bit more creatively about the uh, the coming summer she's an author and blogger and uh, has written a book called adventuring together how to create connections and make lasting memories with your kids and of course uh, we do have that here at focusonthefamily.ca or call 1-800 the letter a and the word family And uh, Greta and her husband, Aaron, have four kids, and we're so glad to have her here. Greta, welcome to Focus.
1: Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. It's really
4: good to have you. Uh, For the moms and dads in the audience, uh, four kids, how old are they?
1: They're 17, 15, 13, and 10.
4: What a wonderful thing. I just think that's great. great Those are agents. good years. Yeah. They all are. Of them.
1: That's crazy, but it's good.
4: You've loved adventure. I think your whole life is something yeah. I believe your parents really instilled in you. In fact, you mentioned a rather life-changing trip that you took with your dad. What, what happened?
1: When I was 16, my dad and I went to India for six weeks. Now, what prompted
4: that? I mean, did he just have this desire to do that, or was it a missions trip? Or
1: My dad's a pastor, and he ha- had gone on a previous mission trip to Indonesia, and he had an opportunity to go to India, and he wanted to bring me along and just change my world yeah. and show me Jesus in new ways, and it did.
4: And it's a great thing to do. It's one of the things Gene and I attempted to do as many missions trips as we could, and I'd encourage parents to do that. What was that impact as a 16-year-old girl? What impression did it make on you?
1: Oh, gosh. It truly was life-changing. I had such a, a new appreciation for things as simple as a refrigerator, yeah. carpet, running toilets. Ice cubes. <laughs> yeah, it, it was It was just so so simple things to learn to be grateful and to not take those things for granted. But also it helped me connect with people in new ways, people that, that I would seemingly have no ability to connect with because we were so different. Our lives were so different. We spoke different languages, all of those things. But because we could talk to one another and meet each other face to face, we were able to forge these bonds. And it was really remarkable
4: yeah it's something. and it's a great lesson, definitely. Now that's a big adventure. Yes, and it was. <laughs> you know not everybody can do that for all kinds of reasons. It, it can be a little expensive. But what's your definition of adventure? Because that's mm-hmm. all over the map for parents yeah.
1: right. Well, I think one of the really important things to remember about that, particular trip was that was my first flight as a 16 year old it was my first time leaving the country it was my first time leaving the state of california where i grew up so prior to that we did small adventures all the time going on bike rides, going on hikes near our home, Um, even taking a trip to the dump (laughs)
2: to get (laughs) rid of junk
1: was an adventure. So so the adventures can be small. It's not the size of the adventure. It's just the opportunity to connect while you're doing it. It's getting out of the everyday routine that is the adventure. Let me
4: ask you this because it, it is simple, but it's often outside of our grasp as parents for some reason. It's either our schedule, we're busy, or we don't stop to think about how do we illuminate our kids' world a little bit. Right. Like you said, it doesn't have to be expensive. So how does a parent get into a better place to think somewhat like a child? Right. You know, to think going to the dump could be fun. Yes. I mean, by the time you're a parent, you're going, no, that doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> so ha- how does a parent maintain that kind of attitude to say, oh, that could be interesting if I set it up a certain way. Mm
1: -hmm. I love what you said about looking at the world like a child. It's one of my favorite things about little kids is everything is wonderful. Everything is fascinating and exciting. Just yesterday, we were here in Colorado Springs, and we went to Garden of the Gods, and there was a little boy. He looked like he was about five, and he saw a big rock, and, and he could step inside. There was like a crevice of the rock, and he said, Let's go exploring. Yeah. And he was so excited about a crevice and a rock. And if we can have that attitude as parents and we can remember that it doesn't take a trip to Disney World to excite our kids, they can have the opportunity to climb on a rock and it will rock their world. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> sorry, good. I had to do the pun.
4: Yeah, that's good. I like um, it. I got it.
1: That, that is an amazing gift to give our kids and to step into that mode as a parent. It really... I think lightens our load. We don't have to plan something extravagant. We just need to get down on their level and see what they like and what lights them up. Yeah, and it
4: does take an attitude adjustment, I think, because we get down to the budget and work and all the to-dos we have to do, and you've got to kind of pull yourself out of that intentionally. And think about what's a a way that we could have fun this weekend let me ask you uh, in the book you mention this idea of stretching Mm -hmm. probably both yourself and your kids what were you getting at with using adventures to to stretch yourself
1: well i think that discomfort is something that we genuinely and generally (laughs) try to avoid but discomfort can be a real gift i think discomfort draws us to god because we think Oh, I can't do this on my own. I need outside help. I need God. Discomfort draws us to one another because we realize we have to rely on one another. So discomfort is really connecting. It connects us to God. It connects us to each other. As a family, we want that so much. And discomfort also helps us realize that we can do hard things. So discomfort, that stretching is a gift. And one of my favorite things about all the adventures we take is to embrace the misadventure like you said at the hmm. beginning of our talk here about the things that went wrong <laughs> and um they make great stories later that's what we'll say as a family yeah, when things go wrong later. yes yeah. like in the midst we may be like frustrated but we say It will make a great story later. And we sort of hang on to that as the hope that we can get through. And it always does. We laugh about it later. And those are like, those are the tales of our family, right? Our our epic adventures that were kind of a flop or really bad in the moment, but they turn into such great stories and memories later on.
4: Yeah, they really do. Um, You had an outside the comfort zone. and This one is really interesting to me, the the bus trip in downtown LA with other moms and kids. Yes. I was kind of, I winced a little bit with that one because safety, I mean, how do you balance having an adventure and thinking about kids being safe and what did you do on the bus trip?
1: Well, I think for that particular one, it definitely was a stretching because we were riding, like, public transportation into downtown L.A. On purpose. On purpose with <laughs> lots of little kids for the first time. What could go wrong for with For all this? of us. What yeah, could no, go wrong? Nothing. Um, but we were all together, and we were a big group. So so I think that, that safety helped. It's, it wouldn't have been something I would have tried on my own with a five, three, and 1-year-old and, you know um, – But you had a gang of kids with Yeah, we had lots of moms, and (laughs) we did it all together. Um, It was growing and stretching and uncomfortable at times, but also such a valuable learning experience. One of the particular things that was difficult was at one moment on the the train it was just us and a person who was clearly homeless and Uh they were um hidden under layers of blankets sitting in a wheelchair and all we could see was the feet sticking out underneath and um as you can imagine someone who doesn't have access to uh, bathing facilities the the odor was strong and it was hard for our kids I mean, we had kids that were five and three and and everyone noticed. and and so it was a moment for us to gather with our kids, all the moms huddled with their kids and and we helped them have compassion for this person who was obviously living in really difficult circumstances. But also as moms, we could have compassion for the person and compassion for our kids. how do we handle it with grace? It was a growing experience. Mm. But it was good.
4: Greta, let's uh, talk about technology. That can be a huge distraction today. Here at Focus, we do a lot of programs on technology and the kids' use of technology, and frankly, the parents' use of technology. And of course, you see it at restaurants. You see it in your home. You know, Everybody's sitting with their own screen, and hardly anybody's interacting. How do you recommend we overcome that challenge of connecting as a family and not through our devices?
1: That's one of the the biggest driving forces for why I wrote this book because I think that uh, we are so distracted. We just live in a distracted and disconnected time. And I think a lot of times technology gives us a false sense of connection because we feel like through social media we're connecting with other people, but it's not a true connection. And so if we can get away from the screens and do something that really – fosters that face-to-face connection, we're giving a gift to our kids. We're teaching them that it matters. And I think that when we invite our kids to do something that is um, actually engaging. We're not just throwing down the gauntlet and saying no more technology, but then we don't offer them anything in exchange. That's not a very <laughs> that's right. not a very engaging opportunity, well, right? And that
4: takes effort,
1: right? But if instead we say, "Hey, we're going to go on a hike today. We're going to go experience something new. We're going to do something different," that's an invitation that's exciting in exchange. Yeah. So I think the technology has a powerful lure. We need to have a powerful lure with the invitation to adventure and to connect in a new way. Uh,
4: In your book, Adventuring Together, you identified some common parental mistakes that we make. You're touching on one right there that we ask them not to do something but don't provide an alternative. What are some of the other things that we do as parents that we need to be mindful of?
1: Well, one of my um, favorites is as parents, we often think as our kids grow up, they reach the teenage years that they don't want to connect with us. They don't want to have that time. And I think that that's Just not the truth. In fact, when my kids were little, I would often be at the store, you know, with a five year old, a three year old, a one year old. I was pregnant, and people would look at me and they'd say, Oh, enjoy it now because when they're teenagers, it will be awful. And I I used to hate that comment. Right. And I rebelled against it. I thought, That's not going to be my story. But I knew I had to figure out a way then to write a different story. So as my kids have grown, and i've reached the teenage years now i'm in the midst of them yeah i realize they do want to be with me and they want to be together as a family so as parents with kids who are teens we often think they need their own space they they just want to be with our fr- their friends we need to give them that but I think we need to pull them into us they want to be with us even if they initially push away they really do want to be with us so as parents we don't need to make the mistake of thinking our kids especially as teens don't want to be around us we need to we need to continually invite them in yeah
0: this focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment
4: Join with Focus on the Family to promote the sanctity of human life through Sea Life 2021. It's a six-episode digital experience to equip you in the pro-life conversation. Join us online for the premiere of Sea Life 2021 Friday, July 16th, followed by weekly episodes. And mark your calendar for the Celebrate Life live experience in Dallas-Fort Worth on August 28th. For more, visit focusonthefamily.com/sea-life. Good
0: parents aren't perfect, and that's okay, but there are ways you can grow every day. Focus on the family's seven traits of effective parenting assessment gives parents an honest look at their unique strengths, plus some areas they could use a little help. Every mom and dad can help raise the next generation of healthy, mature, and responsible children, and this assessment will help get you started. Take the assessment at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash 7Trades. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash 7Trades. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Let's get
4: to some practical applications. So say you're a mom and dad of elementary school age children. What are some things I can get started? Okay, they've been too much screen time. They do their homework. That's good. But now they're watching stuff on the screen until dinner, and then we have dinner, and then they do their own thing, and then we hug each other and say good night, and I want to shake that up now. So how do I get started?
1: Well, I can think of two things um, right away. For the weekdays or weeknights when it feels harder, you think, "Well, how could I possibly fit an adventure into that?" I think adventuring through books is a fantastic way mm. to um, engage the whole family, and you don't need to you don't need to pick a book that you think is going to teach them a lesson. You need <laughs> a, to pick a book that everybody's just going to enjoy.
4: How did you know I was
1: thinking that already? <laughs> um so because that right all parents right that's right we've got to make it meaningful and purposeful and it is meaningful and purposeful but the the purpose and the meaning might simply be that we're connecting and so pick a time that in those evenings when you feel like how could I fit in an adventure where you read together and you go on an adventure through a book and I'm telling you it's a powerful connecting tool to read books together and adventure through books. And then when you have a little more time, say on a weekend or you've picked um, maybe a day off of school, whatever it is, you could plan something else. I think one of the most simple, affordable, and unique ways to connect is to hike with your kids. We hike together weekly, almost, as a family. And it mm-hmm. seems so simple, but there's a really wonderful thing about hiking together. One, you're often away from cell service, so that takes the technology out the, out the window. You don't have to worry about it. Um, but you're also able to connect in a way that is different because you're walking shoulder to shoulder. Mm-hmm. and I find a lot of conversations happen in those moments. Sometimes our kids are not so ready to talk about those deep things when we're sitting face-to-face and they feel a certain pressure. But when you're just walking side-by-side and you are engaged with God's creation, your heart is open and it just allows for conversation. So those are two simple things you could do with elementary school students, age students, and you can have adventures easily Mm
4: -hmm. yeah and again it it, we can overcomplicate it Mm -hmm. which is the thing that probably then discourages us from doing it right rather than just go with something simple you also mentioned growing your adventures which I think fits in here nicely Uh, if you start simply with a hike how do you grow adventures what does that mean and then how do you apply that to your own children now
1: well I think um you go from a hike to say a a weekend camping trip okay and you invite them to learn how to make a campfire or set up a tent sleep in a tent i would say even push beyond taking out the camper go in a tent that's we a, did that that's oh we paid our dues. Right? that is yes. an oh, yeah.
0: adventure that is an adventure just waiting to happen right. yeah in fact what right.
1: changed
4: us was a bear outside our tent <laughs> then yes. we said let's get some hard walls that was <laughs> totally. mama's quick decision for that <laughs> yes, situation
1: i agree and then, yeah. So just take it up a notch. It doesn't have to be your camping in, you know, a bear infested woods. You could simply take them camping at the closest <laughs> campground. I didn't
4: say bear infested. <laughs> yeah, your sense if of adventure was off the scale. If there's one
1: bear, it feels bear infested. <laughs> I think. I'm a horrible bear. If there's so, one so maybe start bear in the backyard
0: outside. with the yeah. fences and no bears.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Um, but, but I bet that that bare memory stands out.
4: Yeah. The kids slept right through it. Right.
1: If there's a misadventure, Mm -hmm. it's all the better. So I think growing. Yeah. And, and invite the kids into that. Say, um, what would excite you? How can you take our family's adventures to the next level? What do you dream of doing? And again, I
4: think for parents, and I want to defend parents a bit because our plates are full and we get that, but we're encouraging you to crack open the ideas and the right. routines we can get into a routine though even on these adventures you can get into that rut that i alluded to uh, what suggestions do you have for parents to avoid the the routine of the adventure
1: i love looking for new places to go places we haven't been before so, so that,
4: that create that requires energy from it you does. and you got to look around right. and you got to get on the internet and or whatever is some right?
1: research you got to talk to other parents yeah But I think that that finding new places to go, even if they're not far from home, but it's one you hadn't been to yet, or challenging yourself saying, oh, man, that's a three-mile hike, and we usually only hike one. Can we do it? Or going to a museum. I know lots of parents, we feel like, especially when your kids are small, like a museum sounds terrifying because if your kid touches that priceless piece of art and all the alarms go off and they look, everyone's like... They did it. It's scary to take your kids to a museum, but what if you create an environment where you're just there for an hour, and you're giving your kids the opportunity to experience a new thing, and that will be stretching for both of you. So, Absolutely.
4: Gene I, I and it. I took Trent and Troy when they were little. It was some kind of tarantula place. I don't think they were dangerous. Now, <laughs> Maybe I should have asked. But <laughs> like, I mean, they were like, you know, they let the kids crawl on, crawl on their yeah. arm, and there are only three or four children that had to go to the hospital. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, it was a lot of fun. And it. the boys remember that oh, yeah. to this day. That was one of their big adventures that's, right. like, you know, hands on kind yes. of application. Um, that idea of tradition, and I, what I love now and what we've experienced as a family doing the things that we've done is now that when we sit and have dinner together, this is the conversation. Do you remember when? And yes. that was so much fun when that happened. And I think that's the payoff for the parent, mm-hmm. right? And in that context, you're creating memories right. that last a lifetime, literally. And one of the the benefits I've felt, and of course Trent and Troy are not married yet, and we don't have grand grandchildren yet, but it it particularly Trent has really expressed how he wants to create those kind of environments. Mm -hmm. So you're really creating legacy adventure when you do this because your children are going to grow up. They're most likely going to get married. They're most likely going to have children. Right. And they're going to carry on those traditions, right? Yes.
1: I love that. Thank you for saying it because I think we need to, as parents, have a full vision of what our relationship with our kids can be. It's not just for when they're little. It's not just for when they're teenagers. It's into adulthood. One of my most cherished uh, parts of my life is that I still have a relationship with my parents. I love to be with them. I still adventure with my dad. Two years ago, my dad invited me to go on a trip to Greece with him for two weeks. I want to go with
4: your dad somewhere. (laughs) You should. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) He he seems to go to good places. We have
1: a lot of fun. I I hadn't been... um, out of the country since my kids were well before i had kids i hadn't gone away from them in two weeks and for that long i'm sorry i hadn't oh, been away from my kids for that long of a time for two weeks it felt like a lifetime oh yeah but he and my husband encouraged me they they both said you need to have this adventure and even as adults, we can connect with our parents. And I, I just think, I want that for my kids too. Let's have a full vision as parents of connecting with our kids throughout their lifetime.
4: You know, Greta, I, I keep, and we're right near the end here, but I keep coming back to the attitude of the parent. And this is what it's all about. And there are things when you do these adventures that will trigger you. And yes. you've got to relax on that stuff. I remember I would just get really intense about setting up the camp yes. and getting things <laughs> done. You're and, the
0: camp manager. You know, we, yes. But yeah. we
4: would get, of course we started late getting out of the house pulling the trailer so by the time we got to South Dakota to pull into you know whatever camp it's already seven o'clock Jean's antsy about dinner we got to feed the kids so can can I get in the trailer and get going okay I'll open up the trailer which I would do connect all the lines and then invariably you know I'd bump my head on everything come back with lumps and bleeding and and uh but you got to relax is yeah. the point I'm making. you got to make that fun. Even in the the misfortune of things that will happen, flat tires, hitting deer. I did hit two deer. Oh, that was another whole fiasco Ooh. with the trailer. And But you've got to just take a deep breath and say, okay, Lord, help us to have a, a good time even in the midst of chaos. Yes. And that's what you're learning in that. Right. And the kids are going to learn from your attitude there yes. too. So I guess I'm coming back at the end here to say, speak to the parent's heart about Their attitude and what you have to do to maintain a good godly attitude in adventure.
1: There are so many opportunities (laughs) to show our kids that number one, we turn to God in times of struggle and there's nothing too small or too big to turn to him. So it might just be, we missed our exit, and i got to figure out how to turn around and get back and say, kids, can you guys pray in that, that moment? That could be terrifying yes, it with a trailer. Can be. Let me
4: tell you, I've experienced that.
1: So so there's just so many opportunities for us to invite our kids into relationship with God mm-hmm. and in into relationship with us and one another as siblings while we are out on these adventures. And we're creating a habit of connecting to God in those moments we're creating a habit of um, connecting with one another and fostering a relationship of togetherness Mm -hmm. and
4: in that context probably the best place to end is how in all of these great adventures do we bring God into it in a way that the kids will respond
1: I can't think of a better place to get to know God than out in his creation. You see his power. You see his creativity. You see his love and his care for us. He's an artist. And over and over again... I have said to my kids, we get to know God by, as a a creator, we get to know our creator by experiencing his creation. So I think we can adventure anywhere, but I have to say I have a special spot in my heart for adventuring outdoors because it draws us so close to God.
4: I agree. Greta, this has been so good. It has inspired me for this summer. I haven't come up with many creative ideas yet, so... I'm going to be working on it over the next few days. And I hope think they of involve what, bears. Yeah, yeah no <laughs> bears. I'll try to miss the bears and do other things. But thank you for being with us. Wonderful book, Adventuring Together, How to Create Connections and Make Lasting Memories with Your Kids. And it's true. I'm on the back end of it now with uh, two uh, boys, 20 and 18. This is what our family experience was built on. And I'm so glad you put it into a book for others to learn
0: from. Thank you. And we encourage you to get that book. Uh, we've got that here at the ministry. Uh, the details are in the episode notes, or give us a call, 800-the letter A and the word family. And then we do have a free resource for you on the website. It's a parenting assessment. It takes a few minutes for you to uh, fill out, and it'll show you where you're strong as a parent and maybe an area or two of growth. Perhaps adventure is one of those areas I you hope need to so. grow in. Uh, stop by the, uh, the website to find out the seven traits for effectively parenting your kids and how you can grow in that.
4: Greta, what a great book, Adventuring Together, How to Create Connections and Make Lasting Memories with Your Kids. Uh, What a wonderful resource. And right here at the beginning of summer, we want to get it into your hands. And if you can make a gift of any amount, we'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you for joining the ministry here. If you can't afford it, we believe in adventure. So uh, we'll get it to you and trust others will cover the cost of that. Just get in touch with
0: us today. And again, our number is 800, the letter A and the word family. to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. If you have a tough day at work and you get in the car and your first person you're going to call is your mom, not your wife, that's a problem. Ted Cunningham is with us today on Focus on the Family, and your host is Focus president and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. Uh,
4: John, here at Focus on the Family, we love marriage, and I hope people feel that and know it. Uh, It's foundational uh, to the family and it's a gift from God and we need to lift marriage up to its proper place and I think in many ways restore uh, what God intended with marriage. In fact, um, it's the reason why we talk so much about it here on our program. We like to equip you with those tools to help you live your marriage in such a way that others are going to see something wonderful and beautiful in your marriage. It's a witness to the world. Uh, Today, we're targeting newly married couples, but this also applies to their parents. That's the good news. We're all going to benefit from the discussion today. Uh, We've got some solid, trusted advice about the importance of God's design to leave behind your childhood family and cleave to your spouse. So we're putting this in the family formation category. And we have invited one of the best speakers and authors on the topic of marriage, and that's uh, Pastor Ted Cunningham. He's the founding pastor of Woodland Hills Family Church in Branson, Missouri. And Ted, you've seen a few weddings, I think. Uh, Does one stick out like, uh-oh? Oh, (laughs) Oh,
3: boy. I
4: I remember one, I was in a wedding and a guy passed out, one of the groomsmen Keeled over into the candle abra, which almost caught the uh, the drapes on fire. <laughs> uh,
3: I've had them from they've they've been so out of control crying. They can't say the words. That's to, sweet though. That that is, and you have to pause. You have to wait. I've never had a bride or groom pass out, but I have had.
4: <laughs> groomsmen. Yeah, why is it always the groomsmen? In. What are we doing wrong? They're not even really are doing anything. Bored? Are right?
3: they bored or they're falling asleep <laughs> or what's happening? They have one job. They have to stand there in a tux. That's it. That's your only job. If you can't make that happen, uh we
0: we picked the wrong guy. And as Jim said, Ted's the founding pastor of Woodland Hills Family Church in Branson, Missouri, and he's a popular author and speaker, a very funny fellow, I might add, and uh, you're going to have fun today. Uh, Ted, formally, welcome
4: to Focus on the Family. Great to be back. Now, Ted, you are a contributor to a compilation a book that we worked on. Actually, it's a series of things, uh, DVD curriculum and other things, Ready to Wed. And I think Greg Smalley, who kind of orchestrated that resource and the other attached resources, Saw that if a couple receives uh, ten hours of counseling or more, their risk of divorce is significantly reduced. Um, you're a pastor. You're counseling couples who are thinking of getting married. Do you see that play out in your own in your own church?
3: Oh, absolutely. We it's a requirement for us. If if you are wanting to get married, you know, at our church or by someone from our church, uh, we we require a minimum of six hours. Uh, believing ten, twelve is better, but our goal is that you don't just go through premarital. You after you you get married, you plug into biblical community through a small group. Of you homes, keep growing, right?
4: yeah, yeah, and
3: continue to grow.
4: I can remember when Gene and I did our premarital counseling in Southern California. I remember there were probably a dozen couples involved, and in it. it was a all day Saturday uh, for two or three Saturdays. I can't remember, but on the second or third Saturday that we were doing this, I remember three couples got up and said, we're not ready and we may not be right for each other, which is a mark of success, yeah, isn't it?
3: Absolutely. And I think for, for Amy and I, we we went through a lot of skills-based premarital. And what I loved about Ready to Wed, and, and it's Greg and Aaron Smalley's heart and passion for marriage, is more at the heart level. We never really got into the heart conversations and the family of origin issues and the messages written on the heart. We were dealing with budgeting and dealing with, you know, the first night of intimacy. And anyway, we were going through more of the skills and not so much the voices or the messages written on the heart.
4: Which is what really crops up in the marriage pretty quickly. Uh, you may not see it in that honeymoon period, the first uh, maybe a year or two, but those things will eventually begin to pop their heads up like groundhogs, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, <laughs> a whack-a-mole.
3: It's that moment. You're you're trying to figure out why your your spouse says or does the things they do, and then you're over at your in-law's house, and your (laughs) mother-in-law and your father-in-law says or does something, and you have that moment where you're like, huh,
4: that's it right there.
3: (laughs) You see it in live action. I just saw it. Now I know.
4: Where it comes from. Now, being a guy, the one thing not to say in that moment is, honey, you remind me of your mother. Oh, you never do it. You never do it. (laughs) That's not good advice. Uh, What would Amy say, your wife, about good things a woman shouldn't say about her husband?
3: Yeah, Amy, when she's seeing more and more of my dad coming out in me, and and, and there's a lot. I get my, my the mom that comes out in me. My mom gets excited very easy. I get excited very easy when things are happening, and and I love to tell you know my family to calm down. Hey, hey, everybody, calm down, calm down. Because <laughs> that's a good place. Yeah, because we're at a good. And Amy reminds me we are calm. We are all calm in this room, Ted, right now. But you, but we uh, <laughs> we see we love now seeing you know after being married for twenty years. Uh, how much the family of origin still plays into it. Oh, isn't it? it. Yeah. And the older you
4: get, the more obvious it
3: gets. I think I don't know. The older you get the more I appreciate it. Yeah. Probably five, ten years ago even, I'm seeing my mom and dad come out of me, I'm like, oh but now I'm as they're getting older even, I'm saying those are the
4: qualities I'm, I'm wanting. Well, and that was the section that you contributed in yeah. Ready to Wed, which was the leave and cleave. Now, that almost sounds very Christianese, yeah. and uh, it would be good for people that don't even understand what we're talking about. What is leave and cleave?
3: Yeah, Genesis 2.24 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Most of the time we look at that verse as a marriage verse, but the first half of that verse is parenting. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. In other words, it's the job of a parent to make sure a child leaves home as an adult, not on a journey to become one. That's the most important thing. Biggest mistake I think we make as parents today is we treat our children like children right up until the very moment we expect them to be an adult. Wow. And so for, for me, it's not academics, it's not athletics that raise our children into adults, it's parents. And it doesn't say for this reason a child leaves his mom and dad. It doesn't say for this reason an adolescent leaves his mom and dad. It says an adult. Wow, think about that. My, I'm supposed to send my children out of the home, not on a journey to become an adult, but as an adult prepared for the responsibility of work and relationships. And in the context of Genesis 2.24, cleaving. I'm supposed to be preparing my son at 11 years old right now to be a husband and my daughter at 13, soon 14, to be a wife. That's my responsibility. And that's where we get into the whole leave and cleave. I am preparing my children to leave. If you ask my 11-year-old, what's your dad's definition of Genesis 2.24? (laughs) He will look at you and go, I will not be with mom and dad forever, so plan accordingly. That's right. And I tell my kids all the time, we love you. You're a welcome addition to this home. But your mom and I, we got big plans after you leave, right? And and they'll be like, well, where are you going? Well, first of all, we're going to Disney World, okay? We're, <laughs> we're treating ourselves for raising you Taking children. the victory lap. Yeah. So, so the responsibility of parents, it's not my job to send Corinne and Carson out of the home for 10 years of self-discovery and to figure out who they are. I'm supposed to send them out prepared with the... The milestones of adulthood, ready to go for work and relationships. What
2: are some
4: of those things you're doing, both for your daughter and for your son?
3: So if the definition of prolonged adolescence is too much privilege, not enough responsibility, it's time as I move them into the teenage years to help them understand privilege is at the end of responsibility. You have to start laying on more of the responsibility. You have to start allowing them to make more decisions. If it's true, we treat our children like children right up until the very day we expect them to be adults. This is why so many young people crash and burn their freshman year of college. They're just not ready for the responsibility of all that freedom. Like my mom and dad were on me, some of them say. They were on me all the way up until they dropped me off at college, and then they weren't there to be on me. And so I wasn't prepared for it. Ideas were thrown at me, and events were thrown at me, and activities were thrown at me, and I just said yes to all of them. And so I think that starts way back earlier at that tween stage when individualization and separation kick in, and your child, according to the Scripture, is actually becoming a little adult, that we we have to stop seeing the tween years as this pushback period of time where they're rebelling. It's not automatic rebelling. It's they're becoming adults.
4: Right. And how to embrace that and encourage it, but do it in a responsible way. Encourage it. On their it. part.
3: I even use the word celebrate it. Right. Promote it. Right. Like, yay, you're an adult. So what that means is I don't tell you to brush your teeth anymore. That's not <laughs> my job. Right? That's like responsibility number one. I'm not going to be telling a 13-year-old it's time to take a shower. Okay? And I but don't. But what do you do
4: if you. they're not doing it?
3: They're going to experience. Someone else is going to tell them. I'll say this. Someone well, else is going to smell them. Right? <laughs> <That's pretty laughs> yeah, true. yeah, you need to take a shower. And I'm just saying the loving thing to do as a parent is let me help my child understand that yeah. and their need for it rather than them getting picked on in the world saying, man, what you what's going on? That's your responsibility. You gotta, you gotta get yourself up. You gotta brush your own teeth. You gotta take a shower. You gotta get dressed. I'm not laying out your clothes anymore you can tell i'm getting pretty worked well up no pretty much this. i'm just I, back. I mean, the I'm, back. Life I'm, I'm in.
4: brushing <laughs> your teeth and taking a shower if you're not doing those two things you're probably not going to be married <laughs> that's
3: right exactly and that shouldn't yeah. start when they're they're 18 i just think my parents it would never be my alarm clock at 16 17 years old it just didn't happen
0: this focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment
2: when a woman discovers her husband's struggle with pornography, she needs a practical plan. The latest book from Focus on the Family, Aftershock, by professional counselor Joanne Condi, will help you through the seven steps of self-care, and you'll learn how to deal with the emotions involved in the discovery of your husband's addiction. Let Joanne Condi's timeless wisdom give you hope, even while you're in your own season of Aftershock. Learn more about Aftershock at FocusOnTheFamily.com store. You've read accounts in the Bible of how Christ impacted so many people, but we really know very little about the lives of those early followers of Jesus. The Chosen, I have called you by name, imagines what life was like for those who followed Christ. Based on the widely acclaimed TV series The Chosen, this Focus on the Family book by best-selling author Jerry Jenkins brings color and depth to the people surrounding Christ. You can find out more at focusonthefamily.com chosen. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with
0: the balance of today's programming.
4: And Ted, you talk in the book about um, your favorite moment in the marriage ceremony, and that's yeah. when Dad gives away his little girl. And why is that particular moment as a pastor so rewarding for you? It's rewarding. It's emotional.
3: You know, the guy can be—the dad can be six eight. 280 <laughs> Let's a hope so. linebacker. <laughs> when, because I ask at the rehearsal, hey, tomorrow I want you to turn and face your daughter. Well, after I ask who gives this woman to be married to this man, we're not rushing through this. I want this to be a moment. And I don't, don't work to make this some viral moment on YouTube. This is you, dad and daughter. And I want you to speak a blessing over your daughter. You won't have a clock, so take your time. You wow. won't have a microphone. We don't need to hear it. We don't need to get it all recorded. Let this be your moment. Where you, th- I can't think of anything that's more literal for Genesis two twenty four. Speaking
4: life into your daughter. Yeah,
3: this is. I am literally giving you away right now, to be another man's wife. And dad at the rehearsal usually shrugs me off, like, "Yeah, no problem. I'll do that, Pastor." And well, I'm like, me,
4: "You me, have no idea." Yeah, let me ask you why. Um, you know, I think today I don't know if it's technology and entertainment and everything else we kind of shrug through this amazing moment of responsibility. And we underplay it in so many ways when this is an astonishing moment. And for me,
3: I think big picture with weddings, I'm super sad that everybody wants them short today is is what I'm seeing in the right. church. And, and I will have the bride tell me, Keep it short. I and I I used to sit down with couples and be like, okay, let's my part. Let me tell you what the the elements that I'm over, and then you let me know the special music if any family's reading scripture. And there are no special elements. There's no extra. They just want to get right to it. Just get right to it. Let's get this going. Let's get get to the party. And I'm going. This is a lot of money to invest in fifteen minutes.
4: (laughs) Right. But why do you think that is? Why do you think people aren't cherishing this moment? And how does that play downstream? with their commitment to yeah, each other. Yeah, that's a
3: great example. And, and I know we say invest more in the marriage than you do in the wedding. But I think when we say that, we're not meaning, you know, don't, don't view this as special. Don't view this right. as an opportunity or just a formality. And so, you know, when that dad on the wedding day after the rehearsal walks his daughter down the aisle and he turns to face his daughter, there's not a dry eye in the place. And, mm. you know, he doesn't have a microphone. So all we hear is, <laughs> I mean, just this little whimpering coming out. But we all have to take a moment to gather ourselves, And then he turns and faces him. And I told my daughter, this is the story I use in the book, The Princess and the Queen. You know, when she was five, she was kind of taking over the home. And I sat her down and said, there's only one queen in this house, and you ain't her. (laughs) And she looked at me with those eyes that said, we'll see. Oh, man. And she's five. And she's five. And she told Amy the next day, there's room enough in this house for two queens. (laughs) And I sat her down. I said, listen, one day a little boy is going to say the words to you, I love you. And and I want you to know he's of his father, the devil, and a child of darkness. I want you to stay away. With... No, I did not. Like, That's sure, every big... listener knows I did not say that to her. What did you say? I said, one day I'm going to stand at the back of a church with you, looking down the aisle, and I want you to understand something. At that moment, it, I want you to remember what I'm saying to you now. What I'm going to say to you as you're growing up. Your mom is my queen. You will never be my queen. But you're my princess. And so one day, I'm going to walk you down the aisle to become another man's queen. And I said, between this day and that day, I'm going to do the best Hmm. I can to the best of my ability. I want to show you every day how a queen should be treated.
4: That is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I hope every father is hearing what you're saying right now. And to cherish that moment to uh, wherever you're at, if your little daughter's 15 now or five, uh, pick up that purpose today. Yeah, and, it's, and on
3: a first date, yeah. share that story. Hey, uh, this is my princess you're taking out right now.
4: You had a story in this chapter in Ready to Wed, which is a great curriculum, by the way, and this is aimed at churches primarily, but couples can do it on their own. But yeah. we would love for churches to pick this up, and and again, to help those couples in your congregation have the best chance at having a lifelong commitment to their marriage, this kind of premarital counseling is what it's all about. But you had a story in there about a dad who was at the moment and decided he didn't want to give his little girl away.
3: Well, he wouldn't answer me.
4: I mean, that, that what happened? Yeah, he goes, I
3: go, who gives this woman to be married to this man? It's what almost every pastor says <laughs> in some variation. And he was silent. And I thought, I <laughs> tapped on the mic. This and isn't left. rehearsal. Yeah, This is the wedding day. <laughs> and what's funny is we practiced it the day before, so I don't know what happened. I asked the second time, and he just stared at me. And I thought, okay, he's verklempt. He's... He's caught up in the moment. Let's give him a moment. Because I think one of the worst things a pastor can do is step on moments like that. Just yeah. let those moments go. And But the third time I asked him, he said, I go, who gives this woman to be married to this man? He responded with, I will not give her. And I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> so now this is getting a little uh, yeah. chilly. He said, but I will share her. Oh, man. And I looked over at the groom and I said, I'm sorry, but the wedding is over. And, you know, he's got this look in his eyes, like, what what is going on? How are we going to manage that? I just paused for a minute. And, you know, me, my big thing is I step on everything with humor. So I tried to make a joke out of it. But, I mean, the implication of sure. that statement for the next 10 to 20 years is what I wanted to address. I, I I had to hear, you know, that moment when you're sitting in the exit row and are you willing and able to perform the duties of the exit row? You can't nod. Right. They, res- they require that you say out loud and audible, yes. Right. And I have to hear that from the dad. I go, because I, when a mom comes up to me at a wedding and says, I don't feel like I'm losing a daughter today. I feel like I'm gaining a son. I tell her the same thing every time. Nope,
4: you're losing a daughter. <laughs> it's time
3: for you to back away.
4: Well, that, that's it, the leading you think part. think about it, that's completely right and logical. But you also understand the heart of the mom yeah, who, who wants to going to be writing it, in after right, this. Uh, <laughs> right. But <laughs> right. How, I can't leave everybody hanging. How, how did you address keep, that with the at, dad?
3: I, I did make a joke. I made a light out of it. But then I said, I've got to get the audible. I have got to hear. Right there. Right there, Did he finally say it? He said her mother and I. Yeah, he did say her mother and I.
4: But I wanted to go on to a long Did you follow up later, like after the ceremony, and say, let me talk you through a little bit of what was going on? Well, this may shock you, but it found its way into the message of the ceremony.
3: Uh, The difference between giving and (laughs) sharing. You were that quick on it. I had to be. I just am like, listen... You know, for you two to become one, because I'm this specific with guys. Yeah. Listen, if you've called your mom every day to share the highs and lows of your day for the last two or three years after work, listen, you, you can't do that anymore. Part of leaving is this is now the new lady you come home to and share the highs and lows of your days with. I had a mom come up to me through premarital counseling and through what's in this book and all the examples of the leaving part. We haven't even really talked about leaving. The leaving part. And a mom came up to me at a wedding and said, how dare you tell a son not to love his mother? And I went, (laughs) well, first of all, would you ever hear that? I don't care what pastor. You would never hear that out of a pastor's mouth. I said, I never told your son that. Here's part of the problem. You weren't in that premarital session. I told your son, don't call you every day. He can't do that anymore. But she interpreted that as he's disconnected from me. He doesn't love me. And then you have to walk through all of that with, no, this is actually love. This isn't hate.
4: But I need to um, press you on behalf of those moms that aren't, they're not seeing it that way. Tell me why, spiritually. Tell me why. I shouldn't expect the same relationship with my son, even if he has married, or my daughter if, if she's married. Why can't I still have the same relationship? So here's what I tell couples. You need to separate
3: physically. So you need to move out if you're living with your mom and dad. If, you, if you're still in the basement with Star Wars bedsheets, we need you out of there. Okay, it's time to get married. You need to separate financially. I hear couples all the time, I want my parents to take our relationship seriously and not treat us like children. Well, one way you can do that is don't call home for money. Get a second job before you ask your parents to bail you out. So you're separating physically, financially, you're separating emotionally. The problem, if if you have a tough day at work and you get in the car and your first person you're going to call is your mom, not your wife, that's a problem. That's going to prevent you from the second half of Genesis 2.24, the two becoming one. Yes. The very definition of Genesis 2.24, the picture we have is the bond between a husband and a wife is to be stronger than the bond between a parent and a child, period. It it has to be separate. Then you're separating uh, emotionally, you're separating relationally. And, and I tell couples, if those don't work, if you can't separate physically and financially and emotionally, you and this one really gets me in trouble, you may need to separate geographically. Yeah, that'll help accomplish the others. It will. Yeah. You may not be able to live two miles from your parents if they're stopping by all the time, if they're wanting to catch up on your life you know daily. These are the boundaries that need to go in place if you're going to truly leave. Because we're talking about leaving. We're not talking about just moving. We're mm-hmm. talking about leaving that relationship to start a brand new relationship, which is the cleaving part.
4: Yeah, you're listening to Focus on the Family today. Our guest is Pastor Ted Cunningham, and we're talking about his contribution to the Ready to Wed curriculum and book produced by Focus on the Family under Greg and Aaron Smalley. Uh, they head up our marriage uh, effort here at Focus, and they're doing a great job. Ted, let me ask you this: Some parents, and they probably would be called old-fashioned, they think having the family around them is a good thing. Sure, and having that. High interaction is a good thing intergenerational living is something that more and more people are doing yeah um, is that healthy or unhealthy I mean in some ways are you describing a cultural norm of today that you leave? and cleave, and you separate in every way. Whereas, man, the in the Old and New Testament, families typically live together in the same community and share duties and responsibilities. There was a
3: big difference, though, between yeah, what we've experienced historically and biblically and traditionally and what we're experiencing now. Then you left your mom and dad's home and you went right into your new
4: home. Yeah, it was built during the pre-wedding time.
3: And so mom and dad would carve out an acre on the far end of their property, and that's where you started your family. Well, now you're leaving mom and dad and maybe spending 5, 10 and in some cases 15 years on your own. Right. Before you enter into a new home. So that part is very different and you now have you've built a relationship with your parent as an adult that didn't happen for most history and and biblically speaking. So now you have a husband and wife who have adult relationships with mom and dad and mom and dad were the go-to you know, if, if you needed something fixed at your apartment when you were 28, you called dad. Well, let me tell you, well, now you got a new guy. Whether he's handy or not, dad's not the first go-to phone call. Yeah. Again, if you if the goal is oneness and not enmeshment and, and having a family that's so tied together. And that's
4: the common theme. That's what you're really saying is the we're... two becoming one flesh. You yeah. have to cleave to each other. Let's move into that, the, the cleaving the, portion
3: the here. The biblical definition of compatibility is specifically two becoming one. And it's the last half of the verse because you can't have it without the leaving part. If you don't leave well, you can't cleave well. If you aren't in a, have healthy boundaries with your parents emotionally, relationally, financially, it's gonna be very difficult to figure out how we're gonna do this together, just the two of us.
4: Where's that the other side of that boundary when a parent, maybe an elderly parent, let's say the couple's in their 40s or 50s, that sandwich generation, that they talk about, yeah. and mom's now living with you in the little apartment basement or whatever it might be. Um, how can you manage that moment in a healthy, biblical way?
3: Yeah, I still think the priority of your marriage is what leads to that mm-hmm. honor, to know, hey, mom, we're glad you're here. You're a welcomed addition to our home. We're still a united front, you know, though. And, and I, you know what I tell parents and grandparents? Again, this idea of advocating for your child's marriage means you advocate for their marriage, not just your child. I think that's an important piece there. Sometimes we we pick our child or we pick one spouse. Advocate for both. Understand the marriage is important. It's the, the cornerstone in that family, in that home. Support that. And I, and I think it's one of the—on the topic of leaving and cleaving— And again, going back to this idea that every marriage is a duet in need of great backup singers. (laughs) One of the best ways for a parent to be a backup singer to their adult child's marriage is to advocate for the marriage, not just the child. And I know the tendency when that child calls wanting to go at the husband or call go at the wife and and begins making all the statements, the faster you can shut that down, the better. Because uh, you, you need to say, I'm here for both of you, not just one of you. Those who are absent are protected here. (laughs) on this phone call and in this
0: room well ted cunningham always has such great wisdom to share with us as he did on today's episode of focus on the family and i do hope that many young couples are leaning in right now and listening and taking his words to heart well it's
4: so important to get your marriage off on the right start and focus on the family is here to help you Uh, It's our privilege to provide you and your spouse with what you need for a lifelong, God-centered relationship. And that's why we have a whole department dedicated to marriage. We want to give you solid, biblically-based wisdom and advice to help you in any season of your marriage. Uh, Let me share with you what one listener told us. She wrote, The sheer contrast between your advice and that of the world intrigued me. And before long, I started to see that everything I was reading wasn't simply a bunch of people with old-school values, but was actually based on God's Word. I tell you, I love hearing a comment like that, John. Mm-hmm, yeah. If you're on the path to marriage, or you know someone who is, a great resource for you is the book, Ready to Wed, 12 Ways to Start a Marriage You'll Love. And when you donate to Focus on the Family, gift of any amount today, we'll send you a copy of that book
0: as our way of saying thank you. All the details are at focusonthefamily.com broadcast or call 800-the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.